0: Uh, This has been a tough week, I'm sure, for many of us. Um, it has been for myself. I mean, there's so much I can talk about right now. I don't know how I'm even going to get through this, honestly. there, I have tons of things. In my mind, and that God has been putting on my heart, um, that I want to say to you all. uh, The state of our world right now, I think for some of us, we don't feel it yet. Uh, I know that's the case for many of us. Uh, But all of us are facing very challenging times. I think jobless claims are up to like 40 million. I think the real number is somewhere around 40 million. Um, There's obviously still a global pandemic going around, going on in the whole world. And some countries are reclosing even after they reopened. And people are losing jobs. People are losing businesses. And now, not only because of that, but because of these tragic events that have taken place recently, particularly this past week, the video of George Floyd that came out, and there are riots going on probably right now. Let me just... I'm going to just say some real obvious things first. Because before I even get into it, I just want to say some things. Get out of the way. Racism is sin and it is evil. And... I know that for most of us, that's probably ludicrous even to have to say it's, it's probably ridiculous that I would even have to say that, but I'm going to just say it explicitly so that we are clear about it. And what I will say is that each of us is liable to judgment before God, that each of us has to examine our own hearts and look inside and see what's in us. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for me. Like we can speak truth into each other's lives, but there has to be some point where we actually consider the things that are going on. And we think about what we are doing or not doing and what is actually going on in our hearts. And these tragedies that have happened have been horrible and and really on some levels incomprehensible even some of the things that I've seen that are happening now with the riots and other things that are going on and we've been horrified now make no mistake, racism disease, inequity our mortality these things are not new realities these things have always been around but I think for some of us we're just starting to notice them, for some of us we're still not noticing them we're still kind of living in a bubble and we're still not wanting to acknowledge that anything is happening right now. But even for those of us who are, here's my concern now. My concern is for the church in particular that we're missing something significant in this time. Okay, now I'm going to put up this I'm going to put up this for you. This picture. It's not a picture, it's a it's a math problem. <laughs> Now, I know this seems like, you know, take a break and and just look at this math problem, okay? Now, what is the answer to this math problem? Now, this is one of those problems that people get really confused by, and they're not sure what it is. Now, if you remember your order of operations, right? If you remember your, you know, PEMDAS, your, uh, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Uh, The answer... Now, it can be either—the answer's not going to go up there, and there's, there's nothing else. It's just this, right? The answer can be either a 1 or it can be 9, depending on what you think of order of operations, right? Let's just leave it up there. See, so inside, the 1 plus 2, it's 3, right? So 2 times 3 is 6. 6 divided by 6 is 1. Or it can be 1 plus 2 is 3, right? And then it's 6 divided by 2 times 3, which that would be 3 times 3, which is 9, now, why do I bring this up, okay? Why am I all of a sudden injecting this math problem but for a little bit of relief from all the crazy things that are happening in the world? Well, the point of that is order of operations matter. That's it. That's, that's the point. The point is the way that you do it, the way that you proceed matters. It's important. Now I want to put this quote up for you because I think it's relevant. Lack of interest in mission is not fundamentally caused by the absence of compassion or commitment or by the lack of information or exhortation. And lack of interest in mission is not remedied by more shocking statistics, more gruesome stories, or more emotionally manipulative commands to obedience. It's best remedied by intensifying people's passion for Christ. So that the passions of his heart become the passions that propel our hearts. Mission must never have first place in the church's life. The church is to have but one Lord, one passion, the one in whom all the fullness of God dwells, who has reconciled all things to himself. If the church today is in need of a conversion, it is always and only to Jesus Christ. We must say an emphatic no To the lesser gods who clamor for our allegiance and a living and joyous yes to the one in whom all creation is summed up. Leave it up. Leave it up. Now, when it says the word mission, okay, you can substitute that really for anything Christian. Okay, mission can't be first place in the church's life. Service can't be first place in the church's life. Social justice can't be first place in the church's life. Jesus must be first place in the church's life. Okay, you can take it down. Now, because this is my concern. Sorry, I'm like commanding Isaac over here. Like, <laughs> because we don't, we don't rehearse this, you know, so he doesn't know. Um, because that's the thing, right? Because we're tempted. Whenever something happens in the world, we're tempted to think, well, here's what we have to do. Now we got to run to this. Now we got to run to that. This is what's most important in the world. My goal in the message today is to convince you that what we need to run to is delight in Christ. That's what all of this is a sign of. That's what all of this is pointing us toward. Okay, Not to run to this or to run to that other thing. Now, I will address those things. I will address why this matters most, why this is the most important thing. And all of those things, of course, also matter. I will never say that mission doesn't matter or, or service doesn't matter or social justice doesn't matter. Of course not. Of course those things matter. But unless we have first run to Christ, we're not going to do it right. So we, that's what this is an awakening for. That's what we need. So my goal today is to convince you that that is what we need. And, And, you know, hopefully I'm praying and hoping that by the work of the Holy Spirit, that is what we will do. And so if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through verse 11, I mean, chapter 11, verse 1. So 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through eleven, one. it's right there on your screen, obviously. This is God's word, and it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So three things today, okay, from this text. We're not going to go exactly in order. I'm going to go a little bit out of order, but three things from this text. Okay, here's the first here's the first thing, first point. Delight in the glory and value of God is our primary purpose and must be our highest pursuit. Delight in the The value in the glory of God must be, it is our primary purpose in this world and must be our highest pursuit. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God now. Just for a little context, in the previous chapters, Paul talks about, you know, things that are sacrificed to, you know, food that's sacrificed to idols. There's all these kinds of, you know, should I eat that? Should I not eat that? Should I drink this? Should I not drink this? Because of how it's going to be perceived by people. And Paul's general principle, he's, so he's giving them this, this, it's not just a principle. It's like this is what your life is about. So whether you eat or drink something, the primary purpose you know, or whatever you do, so that entails anything, right? Anything that you do, whether you work, whether you play, whether you rest, you know, whatever you do, the driving force, the purpose is God's glory. Now, God himself, the glory and value of God is God's own purpose. It is his own greatest passion right it's it's what we were created for to be image bearers of god if you go back to genesis the difference between humans and all other creation is that we are made in the image of god that is of course where also our intrinsic value the intrinsic value of every human being comes from it doesn't matter who you are what gender what race how old none of those things imprinted on everyone what capacities, what skills, what talents, those things do not matter. Imprinted on everyone is the, the image of God. It's what the nation of Israel was created for. For the name of God, for the glory of God. That he might be seen by all the other nations. It's what the church has been created for. Right? We are his people for his name. So God, in His own workings in the Old Testament, here's a couple passages from just from the Old Testament, and it's just 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 clearly illustrates. And there's tons of these, right? If you if you read the Old Testament with this lens, then you'll see it everywhere. But this is from Exodus nine sixteen. It says, but for this purpose I've raised you up to show my power, to show you my power, so that my name may be cl- proclaimed in all the earth. Right, and this is about God uh, delivering. Uh, Israel out of slavery from Egypt. This is about God uh, hardening Pharaoh and and showing his power against Pharaoh and against the Egyptian gods. He's saying, This is why I did it, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Numbers 20:12 and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Now, in, something interesting about this passage, this is why Moses doesn't go to the promised land. Now, some of you might not know this. And in fact, I remember my dad taught me this when I was young in a family service. I think I was in like sixth or seventh grade or something. And I was like, this is the reason? Because what happens is God... He tells Moses, he says, speak to the rock so that water can come out of it instead of hitting the rock. Because previously in Exodus 17, he hits the rock, water comes out of it. And then in this passage, he says, speak to the rock. And he doesn't do it. He hits the rock because he gets, he gets like frustrated The people are all complaining. He hits the rock and water gushes out of it. And then God says, for that reason, you're not going to enter the promised land. And, he, and you know, Moses dies before they enter the promised land. And I was like, what? Just for that? That's the reason, but this is how much God's glory matters to him. You did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Delight in the glory of God. Now, why did I? Why, why do I say delight in the glory of God? Beauty and glory. You know, beauty and our awe, like, that matters to God. Do you ever think about, like, why did God create, like, 10,000 species of bird? You know, like, is that really necessary? He just created one bird, right? Bird. Like, there's bird, there's dog, right? There's cat. Like, why are there all these different species? Why are there 33,000 different kinds of fish, Why are there 400,000 different kinds of flowers? Why is that? 2,000 types of fruit. There could just be fruit, right? There could have just been fruit on every tree in the Garden of Eden. But no, there's all these different kinds. There's all these different animals. There's all this difference in creation, topography, geography, the stars, the moon, the sun, the galaxies that we are still only barely observing. He did all that to display his glory, his beauty, the vastness of who he is. Why is it crucial that we understand and remember that it's, it's this delight, it is this joy in God? Here's another quote from C.S. Lewis. Sorry, I have a bunch of too many quotes today, but this is from C.S. Lewis. It says, whether we see it, Oh, I'm sorry. This is not from C.S. Lewis. Um, Do I not have it there? I'm sorry. I'm going to just read this to you. Okay. It says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. Like, if God is this glorious, here's the question. Why don't we find him glorious? Why don't we find him amazing? Why don't we delight ourselves in him? The problem with us is not that we are too, and this is how John Piper would put it, but not that we are too hedonistic, but it is that we are not hedonistic enough. You know, hedonistic, hedonism is kind of the philosophy to live for pleasure, And he's saying the problem is not that we are too pleasure-seeking. The problem is we are not pleasure-seeking enough. That we care too little about the depth of joy and delight that we have in our lives. He's out to give us deep joy and satisfaction, and yet we are not seeking it. Right, Psalm thirty-seven, four says, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart." That's what God wants for us, church. At the heart of of who we are, at the heart of our purpose in this world, what we should care about, which we should be about, is making much of Christ, like. Desiring to make much of God, that doesn't mean to make him more glorious, but to show him as to display him in all his glory such that everything we have, our every influence, our position, our, our power, our resources, that that would all be leveraged to that end. That's our purpose in life. That And this is my prayer for you, in fact. This is my prayer for, for everyone when I pray for you. That you would sincerely see your purpose of first importance as, you know, regardless of what you do, whether you're a medical professional or like an officer of the law or a teacher or a counselor or, you know, you work in a business or you own a business or whatever you do. That your your, your first purpose would be, to point people to the glory and beauty of God as you yourself see it, as you yourself delight in it. Because if God is indeed glorious and beautiful to you, both your labor and your leisure will be more purposeful, your words and actions will be more intentional, your work will be more professional and excellent, and your worship will be far more powerful and satisfying. That's what God has for us. To delight in the glory and value of God is our primary purpose and must be our highest pursuit. Now, secondly, it is delight in the beauty and glory of God that drives us to imitate Christ. Okay, now Paul at the you know, in 11.1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now this might sound kind of arrogant to our modern sensibilities, but it's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying like, oh, I'm so good, I'm so righteous. He's saying, I just, I'm just following Jesus. Because I find Jesus glorious. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to imitate him. See, that's the truth. We imitate what we find glorious. Right now, you can put up the other (laughs) quote. Whether or not we see it, worship is the fundamental dynamic of our molding. And this is why, no matter how fiercely independent we are, we never find our identity within ourselves. We must always look outside of ourselves for identity. To our group fit and to our loves, both dynamics reveal the truth. We are becoming like what we see. We are becoming like what we see. We are becoming like what we worship. Or, to put this in Facebook terms directly, we are becoming like what we like. The like is in quotes because it's not what you like, it's what you, you know, push the like button, what you like in that sense. We imitate what we find glorious. Now, A life built on worship of God is going to affect everything else you do. If you find Christ glorious, it's going to affect the way that you are at home. Like how you are as a husband and a father, as a wife, as a mother, as a daughter, as a sister. You know, how you are at work, as a worker, as an employee, as an employer. You know, whatever the capacity is. You're dealing with seniors. You're dealing with adults. You're dealing with kids. Whatever the capacity is. It's going to change based on if you find Jesus glorious, then you're going to start copying Jesus. You know, self-sacrificial love and service, that's going to be the way, that's going to be your purpose in your home life. That's going to be your purpose in your work. Now, how does this relate to, because I do want to get into this, how does this relate to social justice, So I want to look at Isaiah 1. Okay, this is a kind of famous passage about justice. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams And the fat of well-fed beasts, I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing. Them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Verse 16 Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless plead the widows cause. Now, look at this passage, okay? From verse 11 to verse 15. Okay, what what's being said here is that God is sick of their rituals, their religious rituals. And he's saying, "The reason I'm sick of your rituals is cuz you don't care about justice." Now, we have to be very careful, though, okay? Because the point of the passage isn't, if you don't care enough about justice, you're not holy enough, so run to justice. That's not the point of the passage. Sometimes passages like this are hijacked to mean that. The point of the passage is this, if you don't care about justice, you should question whether or not you care about God at all. And you should run to Christ until you care about Christ so much, until you find Christ so glorious that you can't not care about justice. Do you see the difference there? One bypasses Jesus. It says, hey, look at what this passage says. If you really were Christian, you'd care about justice. So care about justice. The other says, if you don't care about justice, because what, what God is calling out is this, is this empty religion. It's this when we come before God and we're like, God, I love you and I care about you. And, you know, you do the whole worship thing and you bow down. But he's saying, look, if, it that, if that doesn't result in the imitation of me, if that doesn't result in you caring about what I care about, that's not just, you know, the, that, that's not any particular. It's all the things that God cares about. It's about holiness. It's about, it is about, it's about the widow. It's about the fatherless. It's about the, the homeless. You know, it's about the wanderer, the refugee. It's about those who are suffering. If you don't have empathy for those around you, if you don't have compassion for people who are hurting, he's not saying you're not holy enough. He's saying you don't know me. Your worship is fake. What do you like? Have you ever done this? Have you ever actually gone through your your like? your posts or your feeds like actually gone through it and you know you can check like the things that you've liked or the things that you've hearted on it what do you call that is that a like also I don't know what it's whatever it is right you know have you have you gone through that and actually looked at it try it sometime I actually did it recently read through them one by one look at them see where your heart is Like, imagine I gave you $1,000 every day, $7,000 a week, right? Tax-free, liquid cash. Uh, You had to use it every week or it disappears. What would you spend your money on? Uh, probably food and drink probably gas probably you know necessities you have these things okay yeah you spend some on that probably at least at least 700 a week for offering right yeah sure you know thank you generous Uh, you know so you got that now what are you gonna spend the rest of it on though what would you do I don't I don't know what would you do seven thousand dollars a week what is that twenty eight thousand dollars a month now, what if I told you that the way you spend that one thousand dollars a day reveals the truth of your heart because we have roughly a thousand waking minutes per day, and time is much more valuable than money. What do you do with yours? How much of that how much of your thousand minutes are sent, are spent seeking God, glorifying god imitating god whether explicitly or implicitly giving direct honor or inspired by and driven by the glory of god i know i'm just i'm just throwing the word at you but i'm gonna just keep doing it this is isaiah 44 isaiah 44:12. The iron smith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it down to the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it then it becomes fuel for a man he takes part of it and warms himself he kindles a fire and breaks bread and he makes a god and worships it he makes an idol and falls down before before it half of it he burns in the fire over the half he eats meat he roasts it and is satisfied also he warms himself and says aha I am warm I have seen the fire and the rest of it he makes into a god his idol and falls down to it and worships it he prays to it and says deliver me for you are my god like look at this do you know what this is talking about it's talking about how a man makes an idol and it's pointing out how stupid this is. How stupid it is to make an idol with your own hands and then worship it a created thing. Let's, let's read on the rest of the passage. Verse 18. they know not nor do they discern for he has shut their eyes so they cannot see and their hearts, so they cannot understand no one considers there's nor is there knowledge or discernment to say half of it i burned in the fire and i also baked bread on its coals i roasted meat and have eaten and shall i make the rest of it an abomination shall i fall down before a block of wood He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying it's so stupid. This idolatry that half of this stuff he's just using as part of his life. He's burning it for firewood And with the same material that he's using to burn for firewood to keep warm and also to bake bread, part of it, he takes the same material, that wood, and then makes an idol out of it. And then worships it like a god. And he's saying, that's so stupid. The worship we waste on the idols we create is keeping us fools and making us slaves. We imitate, we live for what we worship, what we treasure, what we trust in to save us. If you believe entertainment will save you, will make your life worthwhile, worth living, if it's what you look forward to, you will find that that's what you're liking, that's what you're posting, that's what you're watching. That's what you're paying attention to. That's what you watch videos about. You watch videos about the things that you watch videos of. And then you'll react to people, reacting to videos of people reacting to other stuff. That's like what YouTube is now. It's so dumb. If you believe the government will save you, you will become incredib- incredibly political. And you will parrot the phrases of the right or the left. You will use their terminology. You will talk about their narrative. Entertainment's not going to save you. The government is not going to save you. I don't care if it's the perfect conservative or liberal politician. I don't care if they're Christian and, you know, they're socially aware and they're this gospel person. It's a, you know, woman of color who's going to like do the exact thing that you want. It doesn't matter. They're not going to save you, not because they're bad or corrupt, not because the system is broken, even though I think there's evidence for those things. The reason they're not going to save you is because they can't save you. They do not have the capacity to save you. They were never given that by God. Your savings will not save you. Job security will not save you. Stimulus will not save you. Endless streams of entertainment are not going to save you. Being single is not going to save you. Being married is not going to save you. Being a parent is not going to save you. Health will not save you. Medicine will not save you. A house won't save you. A car won't save you. No possession will save you. They won't save you because they can't save you. And you'll say to me, well, I don't trust the government to save me. I don't trust a job. I don't trust money. I don't trust status. I don't trust the approval of people to save me. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Here's how you know. Where does the best of your time go? Where does the first of your money go? Where does the strongest of your efforts go? Your passion, your conviction, including your posts and your likes. When you lie in bed at night, where do your thoughts go? Because wherever they go, That's where your hope is. That's where salvation lies for you. If you trust Jesus, if you find him glorious, if you want to imitate him, then the best of your efforts, your resources, your hope will go to him and his cause. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage but that of many that they may be saved. Here's the third point. The first point was delight in the beauty and the glory of God is our primary purpose and must be our highest pursuit. The second point, point is it is that delight in the beauty and glory of christ that causes us to imitate him and what does that imitation look like imitating the glory of god the glory of christ is seeking the advantage of others for the sake of their salvation for the sake of their salvation do you see paul says it right there right sometimes we read verse 31 and it says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of god and then we're like what does that mean But then he says it in verse 32. He says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. And when he says give no offense, it doesn't mean don't offend anyone. It means don't cause anyone to stumble. That would be a better translation in terms of the advancement of the gospel. So let the gospel be seen. Let Christ be seen. And do not put any stumbling block in their way from them getting at that, from them being able to see that. Do not seek your own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. People don't like the word salvation anymore. We love to talk about the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, but people don't like salvation. Satan must love it. When we commodify the gospel as if it's a great product, and not something we desperately need to rescue us from hell. From the judgment of God. Not only because it makes it less urgent. Not only because it lets people put it down here on the side and not think about it for a while. And think, well, I got, I got time. Just, do I really, you know, do I want Jesus or not? As if he is some product that we can just pick up. You know, when we feel like it. But Satan must love it because it makes it seem like we don't desperately need Jesus. Now I'm going to say something that's not probably popular in the view of the world. This is why order of operations matters. In fact, um, I don't know if you guys know who Michael Porter Jr. is. All the all the basketball all the guys will know, right? But um, he's actually on my fantasy team, which I was proud of after he tweeted this. But he tweeted this. He tweeted, "As much as you pray for George, uh, for the George family, well, uh, for George's family, God also pray for the police officers who were involved in this evil. As hard as as it is, pray for them instead of hate them. Pray that God changes their hearts." So obviously, you know, George Floyd was the victim in this horrific murder. And I shared this yesterday, but seeing that was so devastating. Because, and if you don't, I'm sure you all understand why. But I just, like... To to see a man who is no threat at all, I don't care what happened before i don't you know, and it seems even from video evidence that nothing even happened before, but he's in handcuffs, he can't do anything he can't move and this this, and he's just murdered right there in front of people in broad daylight while it's being recorded. And I totally get, you know, I certainly don't condone rioting and, and these things, but I get the frustration and the outrage. But Michael Porter Jr. put this, as much as you got to pray for, for the family of George Floyd, you got to pray for those police officers. And here's what, how people responded. There's tons of criticism he received for this. Now, Michael Porter Jr. is a Christian, and he received a ton of, criticism he said for 400 years we've been talking about pray for them. nah the time for praying is over and i'm a christian but this has nothing to do with religion it's about right and wrong somebody else but i don't know who you are i guess this person didn't even know who michael jr was but uh i'm not praying for those police officers at least they get to go home to their families every day with some expletives. Uh, while George family has to prepare for his funeral, hatred in those officers' hearts is why he's dead, so spare me, please. Here's the thing. Here's why order of operations matters. Okay? Here's why you can't just run to something. And the point of all this chaos for us, if you're a believer, okay, if you really believe in Jesus, if you really believe in the gospel, Here's the thing. Jesus didn't just die for George Floyd. He died for the man who murdered him. Derek Chauvin, the police officer. Now, I don't know how you feel about that. Something about that seems wrong to me. Like, what? But that's the truth. That's the gospel. All of us, see, before one another, and and what, you know, about this man, okay, let me just be clear. I hope Derek Chauvin goes to jail. I hope the full weight of the law comes on him and he faces the consequences for his crime. But I am not arbiter. I am not the moral arbiter of the world. Nor is any man here. Nor is any woman here. None of us are. All of us will stand before God one day. For eternal judgment. Not just in this life. Not just on this earth. For all of eternity. And all of us before God. We are all victims of sin. And we are all of us perpetrators of sin. We are all guilty. The good news is that all of us have access to grace and forgiveness because Jesus died for all of us. The best of us, the worst of us. No matter, the good news about that is no matter where you're at, in your life because I don't look I don't want you to be suddenly blamed and shamed into what is perceived by the culture as moral I want you to be able to see the beauty and the glory of the grace and the righteousness and the holiness of God in Jesus Christ Two things, okay, in closing. One, don't you ever devalue that, that gospel, right? If you feel your heart pulling one way or another, then you run back to Christ. If you, if the things going on in the world are not affecting you right now, and you feel like, oh, well, you know, it's business as usual, Things aren't that different. They've always been bad. And you don't feel great empathy and great compassion for people all over. If you are not down on your knees in prayer right now, desperately, like, affected by what's happening, I would say that's a sign, that's a symptom that something's going on in your heart. And the the answer is run to Jesus. If you're a believer and that's where you're at, you got to run to Jesus right now. You have to remember the promises of God. You got to remember who God is and what God cares about and what he has for you, the glory and the delight and the joy and the power and the hope, even in the midst of incredible sorrow and grief. Run to Christ Here's the second thing, okay? Because if you want to protest, go protest. Like, I'm not going to say don't do it. Of course, do it. We should all be fighting the cause of justice for the cause of justice. But here's what I would, I would say to you, okay? Do not ever think that you, as a believer in Christ, do not have something to offer the world. As if you are going there apologetic, for, for not having something real to give people besides the gospel of Christ. the gospel, Don't you ever dare think that. Don't you ever say that. Don't you ever insinuate that Jesus is some kind of consolation prize, that what people really need is food and water and money, and they need a government to be fixed, and they need all these things to come, and and, and that's what they really need. They need this. They need reform. Do we need those things? Of course. Should we fight for this th- those things? Absolutely. But Jesus is no consolation prize. Jesus is not second to anyone or to anything. If you feel that in your heart, please come to repentance. Like I'm begging you right now. Stop being casual about this. Stop thinking, oh, well, I still got a lot of things going on in my life. And Jesus is one of them. If a global pandemic and 40 million people unemployed and 100,000 people dying and 5 million people, 6 million people being infected by a virus and a man being killed on the street in broad daylight by a police officer, someone who's supposed to serve and protect while being videotaped, while people are pleading for his life and another man being gunned down just jogging on the street by two random dudes and a woman being shot in her house. And riots happening all over the country. If these things don't make you question what you are doing with your life and whether or not you are living every second for Christ. What will church? What is going to make you think it's time to change? I can't be like. Deciding whether I'm going to read the Bible today. I can't be like deciding whether, oh, is this worth praying for or not? What is my life really about? Church, we need Christ. Desperately, urgently. The world needs Christ. Desperately. He is the pearl of greatest price. He is the ultimate prize. He is the treasure in the field that when you find him, you sell everything you have and you buy the field. He is that great. He is that glorious. And do not ever let anyone tell you or convince you otherwise. Let's pray. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that despite everything that we are and everything that we do and how we repeatedly find Things. to take your place, how we are so easily convinced that there are so many things in our lives that are more important than you, that deserve our time more than you, that deserve our money more than you, that deserve our efforts more than you, that deserve our hopes and our dreams and our faith more than you. You are so patient, God. You are so gracious. Knowing all of that, Jesus, having seen all of history and having seen everything that would happen, you still went to the cross. Knowing everything we have been, knowing everything we will ever be, It was your joy to do the will of the Father, to be crucified at the hands of men, to die for the people who murdered you. Jesus, that's a kind of, of grace and a kind of love that we could never come to on our own. But we thank you so much that you have demonstrated it for us. Help us, God. Help us, Spirit. We need you. We thank you that as we pray these prayers, you hear us. God, you delight to answer us. You want us to to have real joy and real satisfaction and and a truly unbreakable hope in you. Lead us and guide us and help us to trust in you. We know you will, God. We know you're doing it right now. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.